Obama with what we aspire to be, Trump and his supporters are who we, who we are. Are we? Maybe. Maybe not. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something right. Certainly isn't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. We're all scared now. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Still am. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast 106.7 FM Queso in Cottage Grove in Lancaster Pennsylvania on 93 FM WLRI News Radio in Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU the voice of Maui in Columbus Ohio on WGRN 94.1 FM in Palinville New York Beautiful upstate, 102.9 FM WLPP, and in Minneapolis, St. Paul, on AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota, amongst other fine terrestrial radio stations that still exist. We're also heard on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn. GDPR Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik, amongst others, blanketing planet Earth five days a week. Whether we like it or not, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Coming up, uh, as we begin what is likely to be a long process of wrapping our heads around whatever the hell happened and didn't on Tuesday, uh, Donald Trump meets with Barack Obama at the White House as the transition to a President Trump begins in earnest. Pretty huge demonstrations against a Donald Trump presidency break out in a number of uh, major U.S. cities overnight, and the nation and world prepare to overturn years of progress made under the Obama administration, including stuff like, you know, bans on torture and much more. Also, uh, we will have our Green News report with Desi Doyen. Hello, Desi Doyen. Hello. Are you holding up okay? <laughs> Yes, we're okay, managing. Of okay. Course. Well, we will have our uh, our historic <laughs> making history and rewriting the future on today's Green News report. Our first Green News report since the election. Plenty to cover there. What it will mean for the environment and energy and the climate and the planet and life on Earth and much more. Oh, just stuff. Stuff. That's all ahead. Uh, another woman, other than Desi Doyen, that I have also leaned on quite heavily over the past 18 months or so, whenever I've uh, needed help in trying to make sense of this unthinkable twilight zone nightmare of an election that we've all been living through, is our old friend Heather Digby Parton. She is uh, known as just Digby to many on the internets, and she's the creator of the Hullabaloo blog, a very regular contributor at Salon.com, and a prestigious Hillman Prize winner for opinion and analysis journalism, Heather Digby Parton. Welcome back to the broadcast. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Brad. <laughs> <laughs> I have, uh, as I said, I have I've turned to you over the past 18 months for sanity, 
uh, and for wisdom on some of the most bizarre and now historic moments of this campaign season. And I, w- I want to note that w- when Trump descended that escalator on uh, on June 16, 2015, to call Mexicans rapist and to declare his presidency's uh, uh, candidacy for the presidency, uh, after the first insane GOP debate, you were here on both of all of those days and on many others when we received the uh, when he received the Republican nomination for president of the United States. You were here. And each time, while much of the media was scoffing, scoffing at the possibility of Donald Trump actually running or becoming nominated or winning the presidency, you and I have been in uh, in general agreement about the media and the political establishment not regarding the reality of a Trump presidency with the seriousness that it deserved. And now with uh, Trump being declared by the media in any event and by Barack Obama as president elect I've been I've been receiving a lot of requests from listeners for you uh, Heather uh, over the past 24 hours or so for example uh, Don L wrote please have Digby on as soon as you can I need someone to chuckle fatalistically along with <laughs> at all of this horror so no no pressure no pressure Heather <laughs> but welcome well, back <laughs> thanks <laughs> thanks for having me Brad and yes Chuckling fatalistically, I can do. Um, <laughs> making sense out of any of this uh, is going to be a little bit more difficult. I mean, I think you and I both, you know, I was here on the day he announced I was with you guys, and uh, we talked about it, and we, we all agreed that he was a formidable uh, new kind of figure that could definitely be, at the very least, a troublemaker and could potentially go all the way, and I think we felt that way all the way through. We, you know, he he is a unique uh, talent, and he has That's tapped a in. Nice way to put it. Yes. Well, per, per, yeah. Yes, I you're mean, right. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. But he, you know, I think that 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 one of the things that people didn't really get about him was that he, you know, he his you had to look at his TV persona. You had to look at his tabloid persona. You had to look at what it was that this guy had been building all these years as a sort of mystique about himself, which is there there was a side of him that was kind of tongue-in-cheek. There was this, I mean, I think wrestling is the uh, the best, uh, you know, the most apt way to look at him. Professional, the, professional, professional wrestling. wrestling, yeah. He was part of that, and what he understood about the American public was something that nobody else did, which was that they like to cheer a villain. Mm. They like somebody who will say all those awful things Mm -hmm. and do all those awful things. But there's an element of that in professional wrestling in which everybody knows it's not real, right? Yeah. Which, uh, you know, they kind of understand. They cheer for him. They love the villain. You know, they're the big guy. I mean, and he was part of that world for real. I mean, there's footage of him online. Uh, shaving Vince McMahon's head. (laughs) He played himself, by the way, Mm -hmm. in professional wrestling. He played Donald Trump, and he went up there with the big overcoat, and he prevailed, and he had this persona, this grim kind of look, and he stalked around on the, you know, up there in the ring and did all that stuff. I mean, that is what he understood, was this whole element of, of American politics that, uh, responded to that particular form of 
communication and entertainment. And, and I don't think anybody else got that. Yeah, and you know what? That is actually something that I recall on that day, I think uh, June, as I like to say, June 16, 2015, when you came down the escalator. Uh, you were on the show, and you made some of those very points. You cited, uh, I recall, you cited Ronald Reagan and uh, you, you know how popular uh, his candidacy was because he was familiar with Hollywood. He was familiar with being a star, and it was something at the time uh, that day in any event, and, and really uh, to some extent thereafter, that the, the media were not taking notice of. They weren't taking notice of just how good he was at media, how he was a TV star at the, at the time, just the way Ronald Reagan was a TV star, and how that would help him. And I think it was something that was wildly overlooked by the media. Uh, at the time, uh, Heather, let me let me play for you uh, today this because uh, I know you wrote today about how the media has helped uh, to really to villainize Hillary Clinton uh, throughout the election process, how they work to normalize uh, Trump so much of this throughout the process. So I want to get to that and, and a lot more today. But uh, first. And maybe this is somewhat related um, to this sort of normalization of Trump. Uh, President Obama met with Donald Trump at the White House today during a, a, a photo op and short comments by both men in the Oval Office. Obama said he was encouraged by the meeting with Trump, and Trump said it was a great honor to meet. Apparently they've never met, these two men. Uh, a great honor to meet for the first time uh, ever, and that he had learned... Well, this is fun that Obama had done some great things in the White House. Let me play this um, this this press avail between the two of them. First, the remarks by uh, Obama and then uh, Trump's comments. And, and I want to get your thoughts on it, Heather. Well, I just had uh, the opportunity to have an excellent conversation with President-elect Trump. Uh, it was wide ranging. We talked about uh, some of the organizational issues uh, in setting up a White House. We talked about foreign policy, we talked about domestic policy, uh, and as I said last night, my number one priority in the coming two months is to try to facilitate a transition that ensures our president-elect is successful. Uh, and uh, I have been very encouraged by the, uh, I think, interest in President-elect uh, Trump's uh, wanting to work with my team around uh, many of the issues that this great country faces. And uh, I believe that it is important for all of us, regardless of party uh, and regardless of political preferences, uh, to now come together, work together, to deal with uh, the many challenges that we face. Uh, and in the meantime, uh, Michelle has had a chance to uh, greet the incoming First Lady, and uh, we had uh, uh, an excellent uh, conversation with her as well, and we want to make sure that they feel welcome uh, as they prepare uh, to make this transition. And most of all, uh, I want to uh, emphasize to you, uh, Ms. President-elect, that uh, you know, we now are going to uh, want to do everything we can to help you succeed, because if you succeed, then the country succeeds. Please. Well, thank you very much, President Obama. Um, this was a meeting that was going to last for maybe 10 or 15 minutes, and uh, we were just going to get to know each other. We had never met each other. 
Uh, I have great respect. Uh, the meeting lasted for almost an hour and a half. And it could have, as far as I'm concerned, it could, could have gone on for a lot longer. We really, um, we discussed a lot of different situations, some wonderful and some difficulties. Um, I very much look forward to dealing with the President in the future, including counsel. Uh, he's uh, he explained some of the difficulties, some of the the high-flying assets and some of the some of the really great things that have been achieved. Uh, so, Mr. President, it was a great honor being with you, and I look forward to being with you many, many more times in the future. Thank you, sir. So, uh, hopefully, you could hear that through the uh, through the camera shutters oh going on there. Uh, so, uh, you know, Heather, you wrote about uh, normalizing uh, uh, Donald Trump, that the, the way the media did it. Well, here you have the president of the United States, in one sense, normalizing what uh, is most likely to be President Trump at this point in favor of a peaceful transfer of power. This is what we now have to do. Well, that's Any true. Thoughts? And I, don't, I don't think the president has much choice. I mean, he, you know, he does have to, to try and make the best of this, and, and I, I, I'm not going to hold him too responsible. Although, to me, I watched it when it happened, and mm-hmm. his body language was, you know, I'm dealing with, you know, a three-year-old child here. And listen to Trump. He's talking about high-flying assets. What, what is that? I mean, I, what, what does he mean? And he's going on about, you know, of course, the first thing he says, we only had it scheduled for 15 minutes, but it went on for an hour. It's huge, you know, <laughs> I mean, it went, and it could have gone on even longer. I'm thinking, no kidding. Yeah. Really? You could have spent more time with the president of the United States trying to figure out what the hell you're going to do? Yes. I mean, really, Trump? And that sort of, I mean, I think Obama was making the best of it. But your point is, and I, and I think my point in the piece that I wrote for Salon mm-hmm. uh, this morning, was really about the, the campaign being normalized and then what happened when uh, him being normalized during the campaign and what happened uh, at the moment when he won the election. And, you know, during the campaign, it's really important to, to, you know, you go through and look, and I've got a lot of data in the piece if anybody wants to look at it, um, I think it's called They Created a Monster or something. <laughs> How he, uh, the media made this monster, normalizing this monster. Donald Trump, demonizing Hillary Clinton, and it's I, not over. Yeah. yeah, and I could see it happening um, months ago when they started to, I mean, the, the, the you know, they when it looked like the two of them were definitely going to be the nominees, uh, the media started uh, very clearly on a, on a sort of a, a mission to normalize Trump, to try and make him seem. They kept talking about the pivot and how he was going to be, you know, more substantive, and he was going to change, and he brought on Paul Manafort, a, a serious person. I mean, there were incidents throughout the campaign in which he was, they were desperately trying to make him into a normal person. He didn't cooperate particularly well with that because he kept doing things that would have been suicidal for any other campaign but they never stopped trying to make that happen and in the meantime you know they they, they were with Hillary Clinton they had one issue and it was it was emails and trustworthiness dishonesty and they pounded it relentlessly over the course of 15 months to the point where in my piece you can see it I put up yeah. two word clouds that Gallup had had gathered uh, the only thing people said when the first thing that came to their minds, the only thing they'd heard about her was emails. With him, it was a much more uh, diverse group of things, and it was stuff like speeches, presidential, you know, I mean, it was very anodyne kind of impressions that they had of him. And the reason is, despite all of his uh, gaffes and all of his, you know, horrifying, odious, you know, campaign 
errors with the cons and mm-hmm. with women and, uh, you know, everything, the locker up, everything. The wall, uh, the Muslims, <laughs> it just goes on, the torture, you yeah. know, it goes on and on. Um, none of that really kind of penetrated in a way. I mean, it was like there was so much, it, it, it was almost overwhelming, and, and the press would cover it, and then they'd go running off to the next thing, and the next thing, and the yep. next thing. And you'd see a big article about Atlantic City, which, you know, showing his his total and complete uh, you know, d- failure in business. I mean, the man is an abject failure as a businessman. He inherited money, so he still managed to hold on to some of it. But he is a terrible failure. He absolutely has gained the system to to get where he is, but he's not someone with any great business savvy. That that is absolutely a fact. But none of that made it into the you know as a as a as mm-hmm. something that that people actually heard. So what happened was he ended up becoming. They kind of made them merge them into these two awful people that everybody hated, but his supporters liked him and her supporters liked her. And that was sort of the way it was. And here's where I think, you know, Trump understood something. By going negative the way he did on her, especially with the lock her up and then the cooperation of of groups like WikiLeaks and and the press pounding on the emails, and Mm -hmm. then, of course, there was James Comey, that affected the kind of people who weren't viewing this as a wrestling match. People like us, people who are listening to this show. The- we actually take this seriously. So when Trump and all these other forces came together to demonize her, uh, that lowered turnout for her. And, the, and it didn't for him. The uh, Indeed, the, the word cloud uh, graphics that you show here are striking from the, uh, from the recent Gallup poll asking people what they were hearing about the two candidates. And you got a whole bunch of little tiny words, uh, you know, make uh, America great immigration speech campaign, Mexico president in regard to Trump. It's sort of all mixed up. Nothing really jumps out. Uh, on the word cloud for Hillary Clinton, however, huge, you can't see anything else, huge email is there. And uh, two points I want to ask about this. Uh, wh- one is, well, one point that you, you mentioned there uh, as, as you were uh, uh, commenting on this, uh, Heather, the fact that there were so many issues on the Trump side, so many things, uh, so many, let's call them scandals uh, and things that were exposed that moved so quickly um, that you say they didn't break through. None of them were ultimately able to break through in a cohesive way. And I would argue it is very reminiscent of what we saw under George W. Bush, where yeah. there were so many scandals you couldn't deal with any one of them before we had to then move on to the next one, and therefore none of them really ended up sticking. Uh, And on the other side, with Hillary Clinton, you have this largely fake scandal concerning her emails, and since that's kind of the only one, that's the one that keeps coming up. That's the one that everyone knows. So I'm concerned for a lot of reasons about a Trump administration, but uh, one of the reasons is uh, because I think we're going to see the same thing. We are going to see such a mess. It's just as we saw in the campaign, it's going to be impossible for the media to, you know, to focus on any one of them, even if they wanted to. And I'm not sure they want to. I mean, I have to be honest, on the night that it happened, of course, everybody was shocked you know, on election night, I, I, even the even the media. I mean, they weren't expecting. You know, we were led to expect that this was going to be a narrow victory, and the way that the whole thing played out was was surprising. With this, you know, Rust Belt run that he had, a very very narrow victory, by the way. I mean, she's she won the popular vote, but it was he won it narrowly across 
you know, in very small numbers across a number of states. So he got a lot more, you know, the winner-take-all mm-hmm. electoral college makes it look like his win is bigger than it actually is. Um, and, and again, I just want to reemphasize the fact that I really think this had to do with him and the press, um, you know, lowering her turnout with this negative stuff about the emails. I think that that was the margin of difference there. That's my personal theory. Everybody's got their reasons for thinking one thing or the other, but that's what I want to say. Well, but well, on the night... I, w- I will also say, by the way, they're still counting ballots. I, saw, uh, I think right. it was about 600,000 still to be counted in places like Arizona and in Wisconsin, Pennsylvania. So uh, to let our listeners know, we are keeping our eyes on that and uh, trying to uh, oversee those t- counts and make sure they're accurate. But, uh, yeah, you note... Uh, that uh, Matt Iglesias uh, writes that the difference between a narrow win in Florida and a narrow loss in Florida is really just a few thousand votes. And that is true for uh, a number of these key states that have uh, at least unofficially for now ended up in the uh, in the Trump column. Right. And I think and I think that that's the reason why you can in, in my mind, I mean, Matt says this. Matt Iglesias at Vox said this, I, I agree with him, and I say the same thing, that this narrow victory was really about pushing down her vote. And when you look at the numbers, her vote was not as big as Obama's was in 2012, whereas uh, Trump's matched Romney uh, in 2012. So that's really the difference, and it's a very small it's a very small margin. But in any case, what happened was how some of her voters didn't come out in the way that they were expected to. And, you know, they'll go through and crunch where those were and why, but um, it, I, I honestly believe that this had to do, especially with that last week, a lot of the pollsters were saying that the Comey revelation uh, really uh, threw people for a loop. They, were, they saw a huge effect, and it was starting to come back up, but there just wasn't enough time uh, between that, that revelation and then Election Day. So, you know, James Comey probably changed the course of history uh, by doing what he did for no good reason, as we know, because nothing was in the emails. Uh, of course, there wasn't. Um, so in any case, on the night of the election, uh, as I was watching the media, of yeah. course, stunned, sick, you know, weeping, I mean, the whole, you know, like, every, like millions of other people. Yeah. Um, what I saw was their shift to suddenly seeing Donald Trump as, as uh, you know, a, a normal politician. Um, and that's what's happened. What it, the campaign has been disappeared. It, that odious campaign that we just watched him run, the one where he promised to lock up his rival, torture terrorist suspects, mm-hmm. put guns in schools. I mean, every the, mo- every the most horrifying agenda we've ever seen from a major party candidate and delivered in the most cretinous fashion that it's ever been delivered, um, that is gone. Uh, well, there is no remnant of it in the media, and what we're now seeing is a nice mainstream Republican candidate who appealed to real Americans, uh, and spoke to their needs, and we need to, um, you know, welcome him. And by the way, a lot of the commentary is that Democrats really need to reach out to him and to his followers and kind of make up for the fact that they were so rude to them. And I'm hearing this over and over again. Let, let me, uh, uh, let me I, I need to take a quick break here. I'm speaking with Heather Digby Parton of Salon. Uh, let me take a quick break here because uh, you mentioned that uh, his, his campaign has, you know, the things he said during his campaign have been disappeared. 
Let me take a quick break and come back and try to undisappear some of that uh, with Heather, uh, as well as, um, you know, speaking of uh, having disappeared, stuff like torture and all of that stuff that uh, people, many people said went away with the uh, Bush administration once Obama came in. It could well be back. Let me take a quick break. We'll talk about that with Heather Digby-Parton and much more right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Stay tuned. Hey, this is Brad. What the public hears over the public airwaves matters. Without an informed electorate, we've got, well, we got what we have right now. We do our best on the broadcast five days a week to balance that with accurate reporting on issues that actually matter. We don't always get it right, but we try like hell to do so. And we do it all independently and without the influence of corporate or political funding. But we can't do it without you. Please don't presume others will step up. We need you to help us keep doing what Desi Doyen and myself try to do every day on the broadcast. Please help us continue to do so by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep the broadcast going and telling the truth over your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com donate. Don't wait. Please stop by today. Thanks. We ain't got no shelter to offer you. Welcome back to the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Speaking with my uh, guest and friend, Heather Digby, parton of salon.com. Heather, before the break, you had mentioned... uh, how the how the media is beginning to normalize Donald Trump. You wrote about it at uh, at salon dot com today and how his how so much of the madness of his campaign is beginning to be disappeared. Well, uh, I think this was uh, Rachel Maddow, uh, Desi Doyen. Yes. Was uh, this is Rachel Maddow uh, a day or two ago. She had put together a montage of the promises made by Trump throughout the campaign. Just to give you a sense of uh, how he became president, what these promises were, because I don't think they should be disappeared. And frankly, I don't think they are going to disappear. So uh, here's just a little bit of a reminder of uh, the Trump campaign and what we may be in store for uh, with the uh, Trump presidency. On day one, we will begin working on an impenetrable, physical, tall, powerful, beautiful southern border wall. We are going to have the biggest tax cut since Ronald Reagan. Immediately repealing and replacing the disaster known as Obamacare. A constitutional amendment to impose term limits on all members of Congress. I will be appointing pro-life judges. I am putting pro-life justices on the court. I will announce our withdrawal from the Trans-Pacific Partnership. A hiring freeze on all federal employees. I'm going to tell our NAFTA partners that I intend to immediately renegotiate the terms of that agreement. 
We're going to cancel the Paris Climate Agreement and stop all payments of the United States tax dollars to UN global warming programs. Planned Parenthood does some very good work, but I would defund. Are you saying that if you become president, you might try to appoint justices to overrule the decision on same-sex marriage? I would strongly consider that, yes. Donald J. Trump is calling for a total and complete shutdown of Muslims entering the United States. When we win, we will suspend the Syrian refugee program. Cancel every unconstitutional executive action, memorandum, and order issued by President Obama. I would do stop and frisk. I think you have to. We have to go and we have to maybe check respectfully the mosques, and we have to check other places. ISIS is making a tremendous amount of money because they have certain oil camps, right? I would just bomb those suckers. And that's right, I'd blow up the pipes, I'd blow up the ref I'd blow up every single inch, there would be nothing left. So, uh, <laughs> in case you uh, weren't uh, concerned about what is to come uh, so far, that ought to do it. Uh, Heather... You know, uh, people make promises during campaigns, promises they don't in e either intend to keep or they can't keep because, you know, there's uh, there's two parties, two major parties, and, the, and they're often uh, blocked in Congress. They can't just push these things through. But now all of those promises, plus a Republican Senate, a Republican House, what will be a right wing uh, uh, Supreme Court. He can do any one of those things uh, pretty much with the wave of a hand at this point. I think a lot of that's going to happen. And in fact, studies have shown that most presidents do, you know, try to, to enact the, their campaign promises. And as you say, it depends on what kind of limits are placed on them by the Congress, although in foreign policy they have a tremendous amount of leeway to do what they promise to do. So, And, you know, things like the climate uh, accord, uh, I mean, mm -hmm. that's, that's done. I mean, I think he's definitely going to do it. And uh, we can see today, they, when he met with the, um, with the Congress, he went up to Capitol Hill after he met with Obama, and, mm -hmm. and they did a photo op with him and Ryan at the House and then McConnell. And, uh, you know, they, they laid out an agenda that he and the Republicans agree upon um, without any further discussion. One is the repeal of Obamacare, which I'm hearing that whether or not McConnell agrees to nuke the filibuster, which I think he probably will do if mm -hmm. the Democrats show any spine whatsoever, that's done. Um, but I I even in the event that they keep the filibuster for a time, they think that they can repeal Obamacare or at least put enough uh, roadblocks into it to, to destroy it very, very early on in January with a reconciliation, but and with a budget reconciliation. But do and they want to be held accountable for all of this? Do they want to be held accountable for what will happen now where they have complete control of all the branches of government, uh, you know, repeal and replace Obamacare? They're talking about 20 million Americans who will not have health insurance anymore if they do what they're talking about doing and those people will hold this uh, these guys accountable do they really want to be held accountable do they just not care do they think these are such marginalized people that no one's going to listen to them i, I you know I don't, I don't know the answer to that but i but you know the the party has been incredibly radicalized now for some time and now we have a president who is you know equal parts radical uh imbecile <laughs> and uh you know entirely inexperienced 
So I think that if they do think that it is in their best interest to get that done, and that is a huge promise. I mean, the Obamacare promise is, is that one is, who didn't run on that? I mean, right. every Republican ran on it. Yep. So I'm sure that many of them understand that uh, that it would probably have been easier for them if they had a Democratic president and could say they tried and failed, because that is, you know, that, that would be the best of both worlds. But I think they might have to try and do it. And I do think, you know, you've got 20 million people. Many of them will fall under the Medicaid um, expansion, which they can easily ditch, and no one will care. Those are, those are working poor people. Uh, no one will care about that. That's an unorganized constituency, most of whom don't vote for Republicans. Right, except for and the people who are affected by it. The, right, the, the yeah, poor, I mean, those right, people, yeah, yeah, yeah of yeah, course. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, I'm just saying that from right. a political standpoint, yep. they, they, they don't care. Um, and the rest of us, people like, like me, and, you know, I don't mm-hmm. know, maybe probably you guys too, um, if, if, you, if you are in Obamacare, you know, we're spread out mm-hmm. all over the country. We have, uh, you know, we're, we are not organized in any way. And a lot of the people who come in and out of Obamacare, it's a transient thing between jobs, right? So, you know, that is not something, that's not a group that is very easily organized, uh, at least not in the, in, to, to stop mm-hmm. it. So I, I think there's a good chance they're going to try to do it, and they'll put some Band-Aid on it. They'll have some high-risk pools and some other stuff to try to pretend like they've, you know, replaced it with something better. And uh, there are a vast number of, of Trump voters who will believe anything. So I think that if they tell them, hey, look, we fixed it, it's much better now, a lot of those Trump voters, many of whom are on Medicare, and or are uh, veterans or, you know, have, right. have, have, have uh, you know, yeah, some form of government health care or employer health care, they will all go, great, look what we did. And, you know, there'll be stories of a few people, you know, like me, maybe, if, you know, if, if the worst happens, but right. you know, they don't care. Right. She I mean, lost I her health care and, uh, oh, well, what that's shame. what happens. Yeah. You, what a shame, yeah. You're, you're not doing a very good job of uh, helping us all chuckle Sorry. fatalistically uh, <laughs> with all of this horror uh, as the... Uh, Email or one, Heather. Uh, let me uh, l- let me uh, turn the focus for a minute because um, I want to get to this uh, torture thing in a second. But before I do, uh, your thought with all of this, with that montage we just played, with with your thoughts about who's going to be affected, uh, I'm sure you have heard as I have. I had a, a commenter come by Brad Blog just uh, gloating about all of this. Not not a Trump fan, uh, but. Someone who was so mad, so angry at the DNC uh, and Hillary Clinton, uh, either because they thought that uh, she stole the uh, the primary election from Bernie, for which, by the way, I should note, I have looked, investigated carefully. Uh, I am not impressed with. I see no evidence. I should add, uh, showing that the Hillary Clinton or D or the DNC had anything to do with stealing. Uh, an election somehow from uh, from Bernie Sanders. Um, but so she was so mad about that or just the way that the, the, the DNC did, in fact, put their thumb on the scale for Hillary against uh, Bernie Sanders. Didn't steal the election, but they certainly uh, liked Hillary better that she was happy or at least this commenter. I don't know if it's he or she was was happy. Uh, about all of this was gleeful that Donald Trump won, and I don't believe it's a Donald Trump fan. What do you say to those people, ostensibly Democrats, ostensibly <laughs> progressives, who helped Donald Trump become the president? Well, I think it's short-sighted. I, I think that that was a mistake on their part. I think, you know, I understand that, you know, particularly young people, that, you know, they have, they're passionate in their 
you know, in their beliefs. I think there was a lot of social pressure. I think there were a lot of reasons, but I think it was a mistake. And and I and maybe some of them felt like the election wasn't as close as it was, and so they figured that they could safely, you know, vote a protest vote or something like that in places where maybe that you know in a blue state say in you know mm-hmm. someplace like Michigan you know they thought they were safe in doing that or Pennsylvania and they weren't. Um, I'm not a big believer in protest votes. I think that that's that's often a mistake. I've seen it too often in my life go the wrong way. So I, I just you know no just you know be earnest, be straightforward. Don't you know vote for the least you know the least uh, the mm-hmm. lesser of two evils. I'm a big believer in that, but. Nonetheless, I mean, I'm trying to be patient because I understand how these things work. At the end of some hard-fought thing like this, you're going to have people like that uh, who are, they were emotionally invested in in their dislike of Hillary mm-hmm. and I think did not, you know, fully uh, grasp the stakes um, uh, in, in a Trump victory. And, and they will, you know, for the moment they feel vindicated, right, because she lost and, and a lot of them were told, hey, you got to vote for Hillary because otherwise, you know, we're going to have Trump. And then, look, we got Trump anyway. So I get it. Uh, I hope it dissipates quickly because we're going to need all hands on deck. The, um, uh, continuing with this theme of uh, criticizing Democrats uh, who, and here's a Point where you may agree with me that uh, they deserve to be criticized. Um, well, let me play this audio. Senator Tom Cotton, Republican from uh, Arkansas, on uh, on Wednesday, he said that tor- waterboarding is not torture, and he indicated oh. that he would be open. Yeah, I know. Sorry, <laughs> he indicated that he would be open to Donald Trump resuming. That practice as president. This was an interview with uh, Wolf Blitzer on CNN. Blitzer asked him if he agrees that uh, with Trump's statements in the past, saying that the United States should use waterboarding and tougher than waterboarding, said Trump uh, during his campaign, even though many military experts believe the practice amounts to torture. Do you agree with him that torture works and, and waterboarding and much worse would be a good idea? Well, waterboarding isn't torture. We do waterboarding to our own soldiers uh, in the military. That's in training, but the U.S. doesn't do it anymore. They've stopped. But we've done it in the past. Do you think the U.S. should do it again? And and radio DJs volunteer for it. So I I don't think something people volunteer for is torture. So you accept waterboarding? Uh, If experienced intelligence professionals come to the President of the United States and say, we think this uh, terrorist has critical information and we need to obtain it, and this is the only way we can obtain it, that's a tough call. But the presidency is a tough job, and if you're not willing to make those tough calls, then you shouldn't seek the office. Donald Trump's a pretty tough guy, and I think he's ready to make those tough calls. Okay, now, uh, Heather, the uh, setting aside this, the, the Jack Ryan 24, you know, if he knows where it is, we've got to torture him, he knows where the ticking time bomb is, uh, and setting aside the idea that, you know, radio DJs, if they do volunteer to be waterboarded, they can say, please stop. And it is stopped Um, when we use uh, actually waterboarding. You know, we don't stop when they say, please stop. But here I don't want to we could talk about torture if you want. But I wasn't bringing this up to get into the specifics of torture. But rather, this is something that I think folks like you and me have warned about for years because there was no accountability for those who violated the law during the Bush years uh, under Obama's look forward, not back law enforcement policy. All of those things, whether it's torture, whether it's uh, what, you know, what the banks were allowed to do without accountability for it, all of that, because no one went to jail for that stuff. I've been warning for years this will come back next time a Republican is in the White House. It will come back to haunt us all under a Republican administration. 
And it will become, you know, relegated to, uh, well, there's a debate. It's a debate. It's a tough call that a president needs to to, to make. So it's it's not a war crime. It's not illegal. It's just a tough call by whoever's in the White House. Oh, I totally agree with you. And, and, you know, I think you know that I was absolutely against the Obama administration's uh, stand stance when they came in saying we're not going to look in the rearview mirror uh, on this on this issue. Basically, they said we're going to end the practice, but we're not going to hold anyone responsible. And I know why they did it. I mean, the intelligence community, especially the CIA, which did do most of this, um, they said, you know, we'll have a rebellion. These people will stop. You know, it's like be like the Ferguson effect, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I love it when our patriots do this. Say, you know, if I don't get my way, I'm going to hold my breath until I turn blue, and all of you are going to be killed by terrorists or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that this idea that they that they can uh, dictate what the rules are because if they, because if they're not allowed to do that, they won't do their jobs. I mean, to me, that should be a firing offense. But that that's part of what happened. I think they came in, the Obama administration came in, and then the intelligence community said, you know, don't even try it. I don't care. They should have done it anyway. This yep. is beyond the pale. And saying that in any way indicating that torture is okay. And by the way, again, normalization in our presidential campaign. It's not like it was hidden. This guy was out here saying that he wanted to torture, and worse, he wanted to kill people. He wanted to torture the families of terrorist suspects. He wanted to kill the families of terrorist suspects. That's on the table. People voted for that. They cheered for it over and over again at his rallies. And the news media acted like that was a perfectly normal thing to say. So, you know, I do, again, Here, yep. this was part of that normalization. So, yes, they're going to do it. And here's the interesting thing about Tom Cotton saying that. When I read it, I was stunned. I didn't actually hear him. Mm-hmm. I, just, I read it in the transcript. Um, when, it, when Trump said it, he said it in a debate that he would, that if the military refused to uh, torture, they, he said that, that he would order the military to torture. And one of the moderators, I don't remember who it was, said, well, that's illegal. You can't order the military to do it. And he said, if I tell them to do it, they'll do it. Well, two days later, and I don't know why, what happened in the interim, but in one of the few times that Trump ever seemed to respond seriously to something that some, you know, one of these horrific gaffes that he made mm-hmm. uh, in a debate, he came out and gave a prepared statement. And in those days, he wasn't doing any prepared statements. It was just, he was just off the cuff all the time. This was in the primaries. And he came out and he said, I understand that, you know, that the military has to abide by the law, and I believe we should change the law. Yep. And to 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 uh, to make torture legal. So what he what is happening there with Tom Cotton, who is going to be the we you know he's one of the new Young Turks in the U.S. Senate. Yep. He is probably going to be running for president very soon in, in 2020 or 2024, depending on what happens. Anyway, he he is going to carry that banner. He's an Iraq War veteran. This is you know foreign policy is one of his big uh, subjects. So they are going to try and legalize torture. And I, you know, they're going to take back, you know, a number of the the, the laws <clears throat> that, that required that the the uh, that the uh, they use the Army Field Manual mm-hmm. for the CIA. Of course, Trump can withdraw any executive orders yep. that were banning torture. Um, they're actually going to try and do it, and there's no reason why they can't, because you know, regardless, uh, this was uh, well. Uh, known in the campaign that he wanted to do this. This isn't a hidden thing. It's not something that will take anybody by surprise. They're going to come out and they're going to say, this is what people voted for. This is what they want. This is what we're going to do. And all it will take is one lone wolf Orlando San Bernardino type thing 
to get everybody riled up, and they'll pass it. Uh, uh, torture is going to become an official United States policy. And that is because there is nobody held accountable for None. when they did it before. No. Nobody faced jail. Uh, you know, the only thing at this point that may stop it is, uh, you know, the Geneva Convention and uh, war crimes uh, trials. Yeah. But, you know, th- those don't happen very often. I-, I know I need to let you go here. Uh, Heather, let me get one more thought from you, because this is related, you know, among the many painful ironies here uh, as as much as this election uh, was said to be and and mind you I'm I'm mindful of the fact that uh, you know what we think about this election and and who voted and who uh, didn't and so forth is based on the same pollsters who many say got it completely wrong so you know they got the they got their polls all wrong but apparently we're still relying on them for who voted and who didn't which doesn't make a lot of sense to me but that's for another day uh, as much of the, the election being viewed sort of as a rejection by many people uh, you know of Washington DC institutions it's going to now be many of those people at many of those institutions that are going to need to step up and try to hold the line against what a President Trump will be doing to blow everything up. And, I, well, I, I didn't mean that literally, but maybe that, too. Uh, it is going to be those institutions, those people, people at the CIA, people in the Army, uh, and in all of these other federal agencies, the career employees who are going to be become whistleblowers again, who are going to say, no, I'm going to refuse to take that order. We're all going to be relying on those institutions that the American people have uh, said that they were tired of. And that's why they voted the way they did. I, I, I hope that that happens. I mean, I, I worry a little bit that this has been sort of the frog in the boiling water, right? I mean, you and yep. I have been watching this. Uh, you know, unfold <laughs> for the last decade and a half. Yep. Uh, this kind of uh, slow, you know, radicalization of the the Republican Party, and um, so I don't know. I mean, I, all I can do is say that you know, recall that FBI agents in the New York office uh, I- interfered in the election to deny Hillary Clinton the presidency. So I'm a little concerned. Yep. Yep. Uh, about that happening. On the other hand, we have to assume there are decent people in the federal government, people, members of the Department of Justice and the CIA and other places, as you say, that will uh, balk at, at anything, you know, too crazy. But I don't even know what too crazy is anymore. I mean, it's like, to me, it's all completely bizarre. I mean, I'm, I'm gobsmacked. My, my, I can't sleep. Thanks. I can't eat. I can't, you know, I mean, I'm non-functional at the moment at the prospect of this, of this demagogue uh, becoming president and what that says about how far we've come. I mean, this yep. is, we are in a, we are in a new place, but it, you know, we talked about this a lot during the campaign too. We didn't get here overnight, did we? I mean, this has been, this has been building for a long time and Trump just kind of came along and, and he was the manifestation of everything that the right has become, including the new alt-right. They've got KKK rally, you know, celebrations happening. Uh, there's hate crimes happening all over the country. I mean, this is this is something that has been building, and he just kind of, uh, you know, he symbolized it. He, as he said at his convention, he is their voice. So I don't know what's going to happen there. Um, I'm hopeful. I mean, I know that on the national security front, uh, they were unable to find any of the normal experts to sign on to his campaign during the transition. Uh, and, in fact, they mm-hmm. overruled a vast number of them because they came out against him in the election, and Trump didn't want to hire anybody who had spoken out against him. 
so I don't know who they're going to get there. I have a sense that there will be some people stepping up just for the good of the country, you know, some people going, well, God, you know, we can't just leave the jobs empty. We have to do it. Yeah, well, and we have to go We have to go and rely on, uh, you know, many of those people were the uh, George W. Bush administration exactly. people that exactly. we were complaining about back then. Heather, i got to get out. I love you. You're great. Hang in there. Keep eating. Stay strong. <laughs> I'm going to be calling and uh, bothering you and relying on you a lot more often. I think we oh, all anytime. need to. We're, we're in for a bumpy ride, guys. Just hang on tight. And we will be writing it together. Heather Digby <laughs> Parton, check out her work as ever on Salon at Salon.com over at the Hullabaloo blog, which is digbysblog.blogspot.com and on the Twitters at Digby56. Thanks, Heather. Talk soon. Thank you. All right, a quick break, and we were ba- we are back uh, with the uh, Green News Report and Desi Doyen. Oh, that'll make everything better. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. <laughs> Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence. Why? Because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com slash donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. We are um, melting out here in Los Angeles, pushing 90 degrees for the third day in a row in almost mid-November. Just one of the many reasons we have been uh, warning you about this upcoming election for so long, so loudly. Uh, And we talk a great deal about this today on our latest Green News Report. The Obama-Clinton roadblocks that allow for this vital energy infrastructure projects to go forward. Making history and rewriting the future. Donald Trump wins the U.S. presidential election. What it means for the environment, energy, and the U.N. climate agreement. Plus, environmental measures win and lose on statewide ballots. All of those stories and more, unfortunately, straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyle. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Those things you can utterly forget about, the people who actually believe that climate is a real serious issue. We're out of all of those things. Oh, yeah. That's over and done with. I mean, and, 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 hoax and, invented by the Chinese. Right. Right. You know, sometimes you just don't have a snarky comment. This is your Green News Report. Well, okay, Desi Doyen. Hello. Hello. Um, the day we have warned about for a long time seems to now be upon us after all. Yes. Yes, unfortunately. Donald Trump, a climate science denier, has been declared the winner of the United States presidential election. The Republican Party, which also rejects climate science, retains control of the U.S. House and the Senate, and President Trump will be nominating Supreme Court justices who will influence environmental policy for at least a generation with impact that can last 
thousands of years. But other than that, how was the play, Mrs. Lincoln? Well, it means there's a tough road ahead for efforts to expand clean energy, protect clean water, clean air, endangered species, and of course to combat climate change. Trump has reportedly selected a prominent climate science denier to head up his transition team. Because of course he has. Of course, for the Environmental Protection Agency. And his plan for his first 100 days reads like a wish list for the fossil fuel industry. I will lift the restrictions on the production of $50 trillion worth of job-producing American energy reserves, including shale, oil, natural gas, and clean coal. And we will put our miners back to work. We're going to allow the Keystone Pipeline and so many other things to move forward. Tremendous numbers of jobs and good for our country. So, other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the play? <laughs> uh, yeah, so all of these things, all of these regulations, uh, the Keystone XL pipeline, he will now have the power to lift that. The EPA will not be able to stop it, as far as I know. The right. U.S. House, the U.S. Senate, they won't bother to uh, block any of this. This is what you have been warning about. Yes, it's exactly what we have been warning about. But there was some good news in statewide ballot measures. Thank God. In Florida, residents voted down a deceptive anti-solar measure backed by the utility industry and intended to kill rooftop solar. That's good. In Washington state, however, voters rejected the nation's first statewide carbon tax. That had been doomed in part by division among environmental groups over how the revenue should be used, but it was also doomed by massive funding from the fossil fuel industry. Huh, who would have guessed? Meanwhile, the United Nations climate negotiators are actually meeting right now in Morocco to hammer out the next phase of the landmark Paris Climate Agreement, the first ever global framework to address climate change. Now, the Paris Agreement was designed specifically to be as Trump-proof and Republican-proof as possible. It did come into force just days before the U.S. election and is now international law. Trump cannot legally withdraw from the agreement for four years, but he can halt U.S. progress on cutting emissions. In other words, he can completely ignore the agreement if he likes. That's right. Now, other nations would then be forced to do more if the U.S. reneges on its commitments. Negotiators from 190 U.N. member countries are now working out those procedures and reporting mechanisms. They were shocked by the election results, according to Simon Donner, a climate scientist who is attending the talks. He says, however, that delegates at the negotiations are determined and hopeful that, quote, the process is too far along to be affected by change in one government, even one as important as the United States. Keep hoping. Look, there's no way to sugarcoat it. Trump's election is a serious setback for the fight against climate change for people and for the planet. But there is some good news. Energy analysts say that market forces already set in motion by the rapidly declining costs of renewable energy are likely to continue. And for her part, Secretary of State Hillary Clinton in her concession speech urged people to keep up the fight. Our constitutional democracy demands our participation, not just every four years, but all the time. So let's do all we can to keep advancing the causes and values we all hold dear protecting our country and protecting our planet. Now, the 2018 congressional elections are coming up, so there is an opportunity to continue moving forward on action on climate change and energy. Yes, opportunities to move forward amidst the fight to keep from moving backwards. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. 
I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. It's always darkest before the Check it out. Check it out. Shake it off. Whatever you got to do. Yeah. Uh, I... I I love the way you say uh, 2018 is only two years away. Only, only two, two years two away. Years. And, of course, uh, something that I think is very important that people can do, they can start doing right now, What's which that? is getting involved locally, politically, locally. Find your local political club, you know, whether it's a progressive club or a libertarian club, or I don't care whose club it is, get involved in your local groups and uh, begin to identify, recruit, and to develop candidates that you would like to vote for so that we can help get those people on the docket and trained and getting them ready to move forward and move ahead. Even, into even in 2018, even in an off election year when we know that uh, Democrats are do not need to vote at all because it's, you know, mid-year. So why bother uh, voting between presidential elections? Yeah, I think we got to change that. What? We have to totally change that attitude. And it starts today. It starts now. I was uh, talking to uh, Digby there uh, very briefly during our break, and uh, you know, and she was. We were talking about you know trying to find a bright side here, trying to find something, trying to find a silver lining. It is not easy, um, but there was one that I came up with actually that I had wanted to ask her about. I didn't get to it, but uh, so I'll get your thoughts very quickly. Does uh, Trump's presidency, as horrible as it is going to be, um, it's my guess that at least it's going to be comically incompetent if that makes any sense uh it was it was hard to you know it was kind of hard to laugh about obama himself he was funny uh but he was kind of competent and so there wasn't really much to to laugh at whereas if you look back at george w bush uh you know he was horrible as a president but he was scoff worthy uh and i and i think uh, there will be no end of scoff worthiness for uh, for donald trump and his presidency um, that he will be, you know, great for satire. Uh, I realize I'm totally reaching for straws. You're whistling past to, the graveyard uh, on well, that one. Well, <laughs> I, I, you know, well, but you know what? Don't don't no, misunderestimate. Yes. Yeah. How important. That's going to be to yeah, get us this, through these uh, next few years. This is where the artists and the musicians and the comedians are going to help get us through this part and help create the world that we need to have happen. I mean, one of the other things we talked about off off air was about getting the media to change. And, you know, they listen to they listen to all of the right wing Tea Partiers when they they jumped into full overdrive and and harassed the media into submission. So, you know, maybe that's what needs to happen. Maybe we have to do a wholesale, a wholesale assault in in terms of words. I mean, protests. We didn't get to them. There were protests in major cities all across the country last night uh, against a President Trump. Uh, so uh, keep up the protest. Keep up those First Amendment exercises. I got to yeah. get out. My thanks to you, Desi Doyen, as ever. Uh, and, of course, to uh, Salon and Hullabaloo's Heather Digby-Parton. My thanks to all of you who have been uh, supporting us for so long and for listening uh, today and hopefully uh, every day, at least five days a week, to the broadcast. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it for free anytime at bradblog.com. Thanks uh, to those who have visited bradblog.com slash donate. 
You can send me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Brad Blog. The fight continues. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.